about bearing burdens. Um, for some of you, this pulls the scab off of wounds, and it starts some bleeding, and it's very difficult. For others, it uncovers burden, suffering that lurks just beneath the surface. That even though you function and you can smile and laugh at jokes, it just doesn't take much sometimes for that skin to peel back and that burden to be right there, to hit you like a flood, to come and overwhelm. For others, burdens and suffering kind of digs at that thing that you've shoved to the very bottom of your heart. And you stuck it there hoping that if you ignored it long enough, it would go away and it wouldn't hurt anymore. But it's there and it does. Suffering is a difficult topic. It's so hard. And it's one of the things that the skeptic world points at Christianity all the time and says, if God is a God of love, why? How could he? Why doesn't he? And for believers, we're not immune from that question. Sometimes we might not vocalize it because it's not what Christians are supposed to say. But we feel it. And in those quiet moments of prayer, of agony in the middle of the night, we may cry it out. Because something in us wants answers. And we're going to talk about that and probably this week and next week to cover everything. Uh, my burden bearing, I can trace back about 36 years when the bottom in some ways, dropped out of my life. I had things go wrong here and there before that, but it wasn't until that time when God really began to school me in bearing a burden to his honor and glory, to having a perspective on suffering that, that really changes a heart and lifts us up and could hold me together at times where I didn't think I could be held together where I thought the burden was too great. And from times, sometimes it gets better, sometimes it gets worse. And things have happened along since the 36 year ago mark uh, that have made me even feel like, how could a bottom drop out that's already been dropped out? How could it hurt more? In those 36 years, God has worked, and I just want to give you a couple points, and then we're going to talk a little bit about where is God in suffering. But just a couple points that he is schooling me, my family. Not that I've learned any one of these completely, and each one is probably a sermon all by itself, but they're perspectives that help us in the midst of suffering to be able to make sense and to have a presence of the Lord that holds us up. The first one in all of this is learning to ask the right questions and to quietly listen. Some of us are fixers. I just want to fix something. I want to make it better. You tell me your problem, all right, I'm going to fix it. And there's something tangible that we can do to fix it. Suffering often tells us, no, you can't fix this. This is something that isn't going to go away easily, and maybe not at all. And it's those times where the fixers find it hard to be still before the Lord, and I know I do, to listen and hear the voice of others, to hear his voice, uh, sometimes above the voice of others, because the voice of others, if you're one of Job's friends, you know it wasn't always that good advice. 
to hear God and to change the questions that I was asking. I can't tell you how many times I said, why me? Why me? Or I looked at somebody who was really living a messed up life, not that I was perfect. Why not them? Why not them? Why does it have to be me? And God, God changed it, and we'll talk more about that next week, but, but the kind of questions to ask in the midst of suffering. Also, God has schooled me in choosing to let the Bible define God and not my situation. If you take the deepest, grievous, most grievous thing to you, and you put that in front of you, and you look at God through it, God will be ugly. He will be mean. He will be some kind of tyrannical monster because you see the suffering first, and then you see God. But it takes a whole different perspective if you open up the Bible and say, God, this is who you told me who you are. So in the midst of suffering, in the midst of this horrible thing, you haven't changed. This is who you are. You are good. You are loving. You are all-wise. You are all-knowing. You have my best interest. You even sent your son to die for me. None of that changes because my situation is horrific, because I don't understand it. God, you are who you are. And it's that God that meets us in our suffering. Don't ever let your situation define God. Another thing that came along was understanding Jesus is a redeemer, not a rabbit screen. There are a lot of people who will tell you that you, once you accept Jesus, it's all going to be great. Nothing will ever go wrong. In fact, your life will be like easy street. Jesus is a redeemer. What does a redeemer do? He buys back things. He takes things that are destined perhaps for the junk heap and brings them, redeems them, and gives them value that they could have never had had the redeemer not touched them. You see, that's what he does with our suffering and our pain. He redeems it. Sometimes it is a healing, and it is deliverance here and now. But a lot of times it's not. But it's still redemption because he's working in the midst of it. It's Joseph when, he, when, when it was told of him, all the heartaches he wanted, went through. It's like he said, you know, you, you guys meant this for evil, and the devil does. But God meant it for good. That means there's a process taking place in my suffering. There's a redemptive process taking place in my suffering that changes everything. And understanding I have a redeemer and not a lucky rabbit's foot that's going to protect me no matter what goes on. Another bullet, knowing that while burdens are being redeemed, precious eternal treasures are being created within me and for the benefit of others. That was a hard one, and it's still difficult. Because when you share your own heartache for the benefit of somebody else, you feel it all over again. But the scriptures tell us that one of the reasons for our suffering is that we may comfort others with the same comfort that we have received. See, our world says, let time heal, get, get past it. Just don't, don't, don't think about it anymore. Move on. And God says, don't move on. Move with. Let me use 
because other people are going through the same thing or something similar enough that your experience can help them in their pain as well. God's creating precious, eternal treasures. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, your suffering can be wasted. You know, if I got to go through something bad, I'd like to know there's something good coming out of it or that somehow it's worth it. That's what a Redeemer does. He brings purpose to what otherwise seems senseless, seems meaningless, seems mean. He is a Redeemer. Another thing learning along the way is that the weight of glory will eclipse my light affliction. I need this one every day. How many of you got up in the morning and said, oh, the burdens that I'm bearing, they're nothing. They're light. They're easy. They feel like the weight of the world when you're in the midst of it. And when it comes back and overwhelms you like a flood, it feels like the entire weight of the world is on you. What the scriptures call this affliction that we have now, light, in view of the weight of glory, that that Redeemer, Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, will bring upon us when we see him. That weight eclipses what I'm going through right now. I have to trust that. I have to believe that. Because if I don't, if I, if I see this as just so overwhelming in what I'm going through right now, I will not experience the comfort and peace and joy that comes through God. And it was already mentioned as Danny was reading, Another lesson is desiring God's perfect will over instant relief, healing, or deliverance. And we'll talk more about this next week, but what do you really want in your life? What will it take to satisfy you? If you had that one thing and said, if only this happened in my life, I would be joyful. I would be happy. I would be content. And in suffering, I've learned to say it's not deliverance from the suffering. That isn't going to be the one thing that's going to make me content. Being healed tomorrow or having this person back or having this situation remedied, those are not the things because they're all kind of self-centered in a way. They're all about me. It's do I desire God's perfect will before any of that other stuff? You see, it's no mistake when God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all this other stuff will be added as appropriate in God's timing when he wants it. But, but if I'm not seeking him and his will is not the biggest deal in my life, then, then I've got the kind of the cart in front of the horse. I'm looking at the wrong things in my life. So those are just bullets. And this is a lifelong learning thing, but these are some of the biggest lessons that God has shown me at some of the very hardest, hardest times of my life. But what I'd like to do today, and I'm only going to probably look at one point, is to begin to walk us through a theology of suffering, to be able to understand why is there evil in the world? Who is to blame for it? And what is my response then to be to that? So the first point, and the only one we're going to look at today, is the first point in a theology, you could say, of suffering is understanding love, choice, and the fall. 
and it answers the question that all of us ask at some time or another, why me? Or why is it always me? Why does this always seem to happen to me? And as we look at this, we have to understand a couple things. The first thing is the world that God made. How did he make the world? Genesis 1.31. He looked at everything he had made and he said, behold, it is very good. Imagine what something has to be like for the God of the universe, the all-powerful, all-creator to say, yeah, that's good. I have a feeling I could work my whole life long and God would look at anything I gave him and it's like, nice job. You know, pat me on the head. But to be able to say it is very good means that there's beauty, there's peace, there's harmony, there is every good thing, suffering isn't there, decay isn't there, death isn't there, heartache isn't part of what God made this world to be. It was not his intent. So people say, well, if he made the world so good, is he such a weak God that he just couldn't keep it good? And that's where the idea of love and choice come into play here. You see, the world that God made is good, but he also made a world of love because he is love. And the existence of love by itself requires choice. Choice, then, leaves it open for rebellion, for going the other way. You can't have a universe that has love in it without choice being a part of it. It has to be there. It's inherent in it. Otherwise, you need robots. And then you can control everything, in a sense, and, and dictate how it's supposed to happen. And I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I believe even within choice, God is in control, and he has it all there. But, but I want to illustrate it this way. How many of you have ever proposed to someone? Ladies, have you ever proposed to a man? Men, to a woman, however it goes. When you propose, you try to get it in, into a romantic setting. Some of you, some of you just, you know, probably just have no creativity whatsoever. And you've been, you know, wife's trying to forgive you for the rest of your life. But anyway, just supposing you're going to propose. I doubt there is anyone here that got down on one knee and it says, I command you to love me. Does that go well? In fact, does it go well to ever say to your spouse, I command you? <laughs> it, it just doesn't work. You, don't, you can't say to somebody, I demand that you marry and love me the rest of my life. And you say, well, of course you don't do that. Why? Because love's a choice. You can't command it. You can't coerce it. And as God made a universe, a world of love, there is a choice to be made. Will I choose to love him the way he loves me? And just the fact that love is, an, is, is real and is, it, it tells us that there's going to be a choice. So if the choice goes poorly, bad results can come about. Things that result from being in rebellion to the lover of our souls will come into the universe. Why didn't God prevent evil? Because he didn't make robots. He made people with a choice to love him and that he could love. So then comes in the world that we made. We chose differently. Now you say, well, I wasn't there. If I was there, I would have chosen the right way. You liar. 
we're all made of the same stuff. We sinned in Adam. We would have done the exact same thing, and in some way we were present because we're part of his offspring. We, we're part of the same gene pool. We are all guilty before God. And, and you know in the Bible, and it, it talks about the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely... One of the translations, more literal translation, really captures it. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you may not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, dying, you shall die. See, that dying means decay. It means sin. It means suffering. It means all of the evil that, that, that gets us in this world is that there was going to be, because of our choice against God, there was going to be suffering and ultimately death. So there was a process of decay that was going to enter this universe that God had never intended. He didn't design it that way. But in our rebellion, the curse is upon all equally. We all equally have become a target of the devil who says that, and the scriptures say that the devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy. So in some ways, the question isn't, why me? It's really, why not me? I have sinned before a holy God. And in my sin, I'm part of that curse. Dying, I'm going to die. And that is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ that reverses the curse. That can bring sense to the suffering that I am in. You see, as I live my life, I'm going to make a choice. I will choose to get reconnected with that God of love and have my suffering undergirded, have my suffering all of a sudden find a purpose and find a person more than anything that will help me in the middle of it and one day deliver me from the curse of death. Jesus died on the cross, to answer the question of death for us all. For whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the very first part of a theology of suffering is understanding God is good. God is a God of love. And in that love comes choice. We have chosen against him. But the beauty of the gospel is there's the time for another choice. There's a time to turn my back on myself and all the things that I would trust in and trust in him completely. That what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he did as a payment for my sin. So that the death that I am experiencing, the dying part of it, and ultimately the everlasting separation from God, that could be shouldered by Jesus Christ, that he died in our place so that death sting could be taken out of the way, so that I would not have to experience that, and that all of his divine goodness could be then poured out on me in my pain, in my suffering, to undergird and give me a hope and a future. John 16, says, I have said these things to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome 
if you're here this morning and suffering has overwhelmed you, you're carrying a burden that to the best of your knowledge is going to be there till the day that you die, or suffering has so damaged you that you don't even think you can function on a daily basis, you're in pain and misery. There is a God who understands. There is a Jesus Christ who is a faithful and merciful high priest who's overcome the world. What does it mean when he's a faithful and merciful high priest? That there isn't any suffering, there isn't any feeling, there's not any emotion that he himself does not understand completely. You are never alone. There is a God who says, I get you. I get you at the heart level. And I meet you at the heart level. I mean, every, some of you can remember back to your teenage years. Some of you are still in it. Have you ever said to about older people, they just don't understand me. They don't get me. And that feeling of having someone not get you is painful. It's hard to think that the people that are supposed to love me the most don't get me. Well, they get you sometimes more than you ever realize. But to think that if you think of God as so far away and so distant that he doesn't understand you, you don't know God. He knows you at the deepest level. He loves you at the deepest level. He has overcome the world. It's not just a statement for the end of time that he's going to win. It means every destructive thing that the world does and, and the way the world wants to, to sift you and, and to, to just attack you, all of that he has overcome. And he promises his presence. We'll talk more about this next week when we look at understanding God and salvation. Because some people have a easier time understanding that suffering, yeah, everybody in the world's going to suffer equally. But once I become a Christian, isn't it supposed to get easier? Aren't I supposed to be insulated from all that other stuff? And, and, and they get so disillusioned because they got a wrong expect, expectation of their salvation to begin with. They think that somehow it's now I'm, I'm going to just be a spoiled rich kid. I belong to the king. He's going to insulate me. He's going to protect me. We're going to look at that next week because if you ever have those feelings, they can be damaging to your faith and they can be something that gives you even pain on top of your pain if you think that somehow it, God's not delivering or he delivers all the other good Christians but not me. I'm somehow a stepchild. I'm somehow, I don't belong really in his family because he blesses the others and you have a feeling of, of, of just misery inside your heart when it comes to your faith. God is a God purpose of power, a God of compassion that meets us right where we are. You see, sometimes in suffering, we really believe that if I knew the answers, if I understood why, it would make all the difference. If you had all the answers, that would still not give you hope. Hope comes through a person, through Jesus Christ. Even if you were humanly delivered today from whatever affliction you had, it would still only last till the end of this life. And there's an eternity after that. You see, Jesus Christ comes not only to help us now, till the day of death, but then becoming the redeemer or continuing to redeem us in an ultimate sense. 
where healing and restoration takes place and our relationship with him is fully realized and experienced. Don't suffer alone. God is there. His person is more important than answers. Don't suffer alone. Share it with God's people. We have a whole church here of people who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, many of them going through or having gone through big burdens themselves. That makes them fit and qualify to be able to help you as well. May we be a people who are characterized in our church by loving and bearing each other's burdens. Next week, we want to take this to a step further and look at our salvation and look at the desires of our heart and how they all come together to help us in the midst of our pain. But especially today, if you're here and you have never come to know the person of Jesus Christ, you're looking for answers. You're looking for some kind of physical healing right here and right now. And to you, that's all that there is. There is a bigger world. There is a Savior who wants to have relationship with you. Make today the day that you invite him into your pain and that you accept his free gift of salvation on the cross realizing that his blood was, blood was spilt for you so that you could have a life that makes sense in this world, a life that has the divine presence of God to apply to every situation of your life. Let's pray. Father, you know our frames that we are but dust. And Lord, we need you every hour we need you in our pain, in our perspectives, Lord, and I pray that you would be bringing uh, inner peace to those who are struggling today. And Lord, specifically for those who have never bowed their knee before you and invited you into their life, that they may do that today, that they may experience a peace that passes understanding so that even in the midst of the darkest of times, they have a comfort, they have a peace, they have a hope knowing that they belong to you. Lord, I pray for Daniel today that you will continue to strengthen him. But Father, he is also one of many who carry burdens that will be with him their whole life. Father, may we know your presence in a very special way, that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil, for you are with us. Jesus' name, amen.